So I was thinking after a message like last week, where they kind of concluded on a strong note of that we are justified by faith alone, I thought I would really mess things up this morning and, and put up a passage in James. Can we get that up there? Let's just take a look at this together. James 2.24. James says, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That's a problem, isn't it? Is that a problem for anybody here? I mean, like that's, we just ended last week on this whole thing of sola fide, faith alone. That's what the reformers taught. And then you've got James that's going, no, 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 no. It's, it's, uh, you're justified by works and not by faith alone. And then you've got Paul who says, and to the one who does not work, but trusts in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So let's just put this out there. Are James and Paul contradicting each other? What is going on here? Is Martin Luther correct who said uh, that James is a strawy epistle? He's an, it's an epistle of straw, a letter of straw. And, and he said, why is it a letter of straw? Because it doesn't have the very nature of the gospel in it. So, so Martin Luther had, he didn't take James out of the Bible, but he kind of like, you know, he, he kind of wanted to like put it at a lower level than the greatness of Paul's letters. What do we do with that? Are James and Paul contradicting each other? Now you can imagine I'm going to say, no, they don't, but I need to explain why. And to get at the why, I, I gotta talk first of all a little bit about how words work. So here's what I did. I've got a list of newspaper articles that you have to read carefully Otherwise, the words don't work. And this is the same way even when you read Greek in the New Testament. you got to pay attention to the words. What do they mean? What's the context? So, so here's, some, here's some newspaper articles that you've got to read carefully. Kids make nutritious snacks. Don't eat your kids, okay? Don't do it. Okay. Miners refuse to work after death. I seriously think you should put them to rest and that should be the end of their labor. Don't you think? I, I think. Okay. Milk drinkers are turning to powder. Okay. Uh, drunk gets nine months in violin case. It was a tight fit. Okay. Um, next. Juvenile court to try shooting defendant. Okay. Right. Okay. Next. Complaints about NBA referees growing ugly. I don't know about you, but I hate an ugly referee. Don't like them. Police begin campaign to run down jaywalkers. Look out, jaywalkers. You're about to get run down. Okay? Safety experts say school bus passengers should be belted. You know? Okay. Old school pillars replaced by alumni. Alumni is holding things up, you know, right? Okay. Okay. Hospitals are sued by seven-foot doctors. The tall doctors are angry. They are angry. Okay, here we go. Lack of brains hinders research. (laughs) No kidding. No kidding. Red tape holds up new bridge. Okay. Some of these are a little more obvious than others. And last but not least, Iraqi head seeks arms. (laughs) <laughs> okay, all right. So, okay. 
good headlines there, right? Those are good headlines. Um, so, all that to say, it's important how we use words. Words are important. And I don't think James and Paul are contradicting each other, even though I do cringe a little bit when James says, we know that a man is not justified by faith alone, but by works, you know, and you read that and go, that's like the exact opposite of what the reformers were saying, because it sounds like that, you know. But by the end of it, I hope you can see that it actually goes together, and it's going to make a lot of sense if you read the headline the right way, that is, if you read the scripture the right way. So turn your Bibles to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. James 2, uh, if you need a Bible, there's a blue Bible in front of you. Um, you can turn there. We're going to do uh, chapter 2, verse 14 and following. Are you there? Getting there. Okay. James 2, 14. James says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith, but has no deeds. Can that kind of faith, can, can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God. Good! Even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was completed by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Okay, let's trace James' argument here to try to get at what he is talking about. James has some problems with faith alone theology. Okay, If you're going to talk about faith alone, James is like, i got a couple things I need to say about that. Because some of you all are taking it too far. And I need to point out some of the issues here in the faith alone theology. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach this uh, in, in, uh, in, in question and answer format. I'm, I'm going to give you some questions. And, and, and hopefully we can, by the end of it, you can kind of see where we're going with all this. Number one, do you want a faith that talks a lot? Do you want a faith that talks a lot? I think James is getting at that idea of you can have a very chatty faith. Now, I'm not talking, I'm not against a faith that evangelizes. I'm not talking about that. Faith has to encourage people. There's a lot of talking that needs to get done if you're a Christian. But do you want a faith that primarily talks a lot? Is that the emphasis on your faith? Is that what your faith is like? Now, we got to talk. But how much do we talk? Is, is that the primary thing we do? And then James says, well, here, here's how it is. Here's how it is. He says, verse 15, 
Suppose you've got someone in the church, a brother or a sister, someone that attends church with you, and they don't have the clothes they need. And I don't think he means they're naked, because because that would be like outrageous, but, but they don't have what they actually need. It might be cold and they need something warmer, you know? Like, like that's the idea here. And they don't have their daily food. They're going without. They're rationing, you know? They're trying to get by. And you, somebody says to them in the church, now, this might be a real thing that happened in James' church. Like, this might be a thing. Someone went up to him and said, be warm and well-fed. The Greek of it, the Greek part of it makes it even almost sound like a prayer, you know? Like, like they don't want to say God's name. Maybe that'd be going too far. But, but, but they, but they see the person and they need clothing and they're cold and they don't have the food they need. And, and this person in church walks up and says, Hey, be warm and well fed. May God feed you. May God keep you warm at night. But you know, they don't actually have what they need. And you're not doing anything about it. You're just talking. It's just talk. It's not followed up by works. What else is this talker doing? Well, um, how about this? Look at verse 14. <clears throat> what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims? See that word claims? That's a talking word. I'm saying I have faith. I'm claiming it. Some people in the church, they know all the Christian words to use. They got it all. They know exactly what to say. They're saved by the blood of the Lamb. Filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't see any evidence of that. But, but, but they know how to talk about it. They know the right words to use. So just because you know the right words doesn't mean that you have an alive faith. It means you're good at talking. And you've been around this enough to know the lingo that we use. You can do good at that. This person's talking. The other thing I want to say about that second part of talking, you know, the go I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, is it, it kind of has a similarity to um, the, your, your health and wealth gospel, you know. I want you all to be rich, just like me. Go be rich, you know. Go get that car you want. I've got it, says the celebrity preacher, you know. You should too. It's kind of an eerie similarity there. It's this, all this talk. But this person's not doing anything to take care of it. There's also another thing about talking, and that's in verse uh, 18. Now, James imagines that somebody is going to object to what he's teaching here. Somebody's going to say, you have faith, I have deeds. And so James wants to answer. Now, <clears throat> this is... This is a super hard verse to interpret. Maybe you haven't noticed this before, but in verse 18, there's quotation marks around, you have faith, I have deeds. Guess what? Greek doesn't have quotation marks. It's not set apart. It's just one sentence. It's just all there. So do you put quotation marks after you have faith, I have deeds? Or maybe you want to jump down into the next part of verse 18. Show me your faith without your deeds. I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe and shudder. What if the what if the person jumping in is saying that? What if they're not contradicting James but trying to support James? Well, then it's like, well, why is there a but there? But someone will say that's kind of weird. Maybe she translate that as an and, and someone will say, uh, if you were going simply by Greek grammar, you might put the quotation marks after shudder, the demon shudder. 
Because then in verse 20, James jumps back in and says, you foolish man. Look, there are eight ways to interpret that, those quotation marks. Eight. And I was like banging my head against the desk this week, trying to figure it out. And <clears throat> I can tell you one of those eight interpretations is basically, we don't know. Well, I don't like that as an interpretation. I don't know. Like, that doesn't work for me. You know the best one I read and the one that made the most sense in my mind, and I'll share what it is? The best one that I read takes out the quotation marks altogether, and then it goes like this. Verse 18. Read it carefully. But somebody will say, you, the uh, the, the objector that is, have faith. James has these. Did you catch that? Like, James is talking, and he's not quoting directly, he's indirectly quoting. So what if James is saying, somebody will say, uh, you, meaning the objector, the objector has faith, James, I, James, have deeds. You see what he's doing? I think that makes a ton of sense. I think it's the best way to understand it. That's just me. I could go through all eight, we'd be here a while. But, but I'm reading it as, the objector is the one saying, the objector is saying, hey, look at me, I've got faith, I don't need works. And James is coming along saying, I got deeds. And so James is following that up and says, okay, I challenge you then, show me your faith without deeds. And and presumably they're going to start talking about their faith, they're going to start talking. And James says, I'm going to show you my faith by what I do. Does that make sense? So there are some people that are talkers. And they have a faith that talks a lot. But you don't see it backed up by actions. You just don't see it. And that, James says, is a dead faith. doesn't matter how much you talk. You can't talk your way into heaven. You may have been to church for decades. You know the lingo. doesn't matter. Okay. Do you want a faith that talks a lot? Number two. Do you want a faith that knows a lot? So here's the demon thing. Do you want a faith like demons? Demons know a lot. This is what he says. You believe, this is verse 19, you believe there is one God. Now, the one God thing comes out of Deuteronomy that's called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Back then, a good Jewish person would quote that, recite that twice a day. The Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It says that there's only one God, all the other gods are false. And that God is united. You know, he, he is a unity there. So even when we talk about the Trinity, we know there's only one God, not three. One God, three persons. Like that is a cornerstone of the Jewish faith. It's a cornerstone, one of the cornerstones of our faith. Like the oneness of God is a huge deal. And demons know all about it. Like demons get it. They understand it. The problem is, they don't go any further. They don't love God. They don't trust Him, and they're not saved. So, this is the kind of person, you want a faith that knows a lot. This kind of person studies, they can quote the Bible, they've got it, but there's still a deadness to their faith because they're not acting on it. But they're brilliant. They're smart. It goes right along with talking a lot because they're able to probably communicate all that they know. It doesn't matter that you know that stuff. The head knowledge is not where it's at. It's it's a heart knowledge that is a faith. So do you want a faith that knows a lot and and you're considered pretty smart? Um, 
Or thirdly, do you want a faith that loves a lot? Do you want a faith that loves a lot? Listen. What good is it, brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose your brother or sister was out daily food and clothes. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? Sounds to me like faith has to be accompanied by loving, loving actions. And this is where I think Paul and James are talking about the same thing. Can we put Paul up in Galatians? Did I give you that? Okay, good. For in Christ, this is the Apostle Paul now. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You see how Paul talks about faith. It doesn't matter. You don't have to follow the law. Circumcision, uncircumcision, that's Old Testament law stuff. That doesn't count for anything, but faith working through love counts. That sounds a lot like James to me. So the way I picture it is, Paul and James are talking about the same thing. How are you justified? How are you declared righteous? And, and, and they're answering the question, and it sounds a little different, but it is the same. And Paul's emphasis is, if you, if you were to say to Paul, Paul, are you justified by faith with works? Paul would say, absolutely not. If you mean that your works earn you salvation. If you mean that works earn your salvation, that's not a faith that works. That's not right. James would say this. James, are you justified by faith with works? And he would say, absolutely. As long as you mean the works are proof of your genuine faith. I think Matthew Henry said, faith is the root, works are the fruit. So as long as you mean that you're saved by faith alone, but that faith is not alone. That's it. I'll say that one more time. I didn't make that up, by the way. Some other great theologian said that. You know, um, you're saved by faith alone, but that faith is not alone. It comes with works. It has to. Now, if the theologian doesn't work for you, I'll give you a picture. We'll get the picture of the chimney. Are those people warm in their house? on that day? I would assume, yes, they are. How do you know they're warm? Well, they got a fire going. How do you know there's a fire going? I see the smoke coming out of their chimneys. Imagine your faith is like the fire in the fireplace. Burning. It's real. It's in your heart. Real faith. And because it's real, there's smoke coming out of the chimney. And I can't see into your heart. Like, I don't know if you all have a real faith or not. I mean, I listen to testimonies. Even when we do, we should do like, when we do testimonies for membership, we should totally ask about work, shouldn't we? That should like totally be a thing. Um, just hit me just now. Um, I don't know if you have faith or not, but if I see the smoke coming out of the chimney, if I see the works coming out of your life, I can see there's a fire in the fireplace and faith in your heart. That's how I can tell. And I think that's all James is saying, how do you know the faith is real and not dead? I look at works. Because the faith, if you try to separate it and, and say, 
my faith alone. I don't, I need to, I don't need to do anything. I'm just saved and, and I don't need to do anything. That's not real faith. It can't be real faith. Because real faith always results in loving works. Now, we're on the tail end of this. Um, I was thinking this week about Jesus and the, the rich young ruler. Remember that guy? It's Luke 18. Luke 18, verse 18. Easy to remember. And uh, in Luke 18, 18, a, a ruler comes to Jesus and says, you know, what do I have to do to be saved? And, and Jesus says, well, you, you, you do the works of the law. And, and the ruler says, well, I've done them all. I've done, I've done everything. And Jesus says, you're lacking one thing before you can follow me. You're lacking one single thing. I want you to sell everything you've got and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And you know the end of the story. The guy walks away sad because he's rich. And I was thinking about that this week, and I'm like, Jesus is just asking that guy to do something loving for the poor. Give all your wealth to the poor. Did Jesus require that of Peter, James, and John, and the rest of the disciples? Does Jesus require it of you to sell everything you've got and give? I don't see that in the Bible. Jesus was talking to that guy, and I believe Jesus was putting his finger on that guy's idol. The thing that that guy loved more than God was his wealth. And Jesus was like putting his finger on it and saying, that's it. And you can't follow me until you deal with that idol. It's not going to happen. The guy walks away. Sad. And I don't think it says what the disciples say. It doesn't say the disciples say anything, I don't think, in that passage. Like Jesus starts teaching about the rich or have a hard time getting into heaven, kingdom of heaven. But if I was there that day and I heard Jesus say that, I would want to, I would want to chase the guy down and say like, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. Like, like, all you got to do is believe. Just believe, like you're in front of Jesus. Just, just believe, and maybe we can do like 25% of your stuff. You know, like well, let's make a deal. You know, we we can work this out because faith is easy. You can do it, and that's the problem, right there, isn't it? It's not just easy. It's not easy faith. It's not easy faith. But Jesus doesn't go after the guy. He just lets him walk away. So apparently. My loving works are super important to my faith. They prove that it's genuine. If it's not genuine, I'm not doing it. That was the example I thought of. Here's the two examples James thought of. Check out the end here. Verse 20. Foolish man, you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see his faith and his actions were working together. His faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. He was called God's friend. You see a person justified by faith by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. He gives two examples. Two great examples. So when James says, I want to think about some of the greatest examples of the faith, he thought of two different people. Abraham our father and Rahab the prostitute. Now, 
I would have normally kind of skimmed over this, but I just want you to notice how he describes Abraham and how he describes Rahab. It's Abraham our father. Father Abraham, right? And you sung that when you were growing up. And then you had Rahab the prostitute. Like, let's just get this out there. Who's Abraham? Who's Rahab? And you get the impression that he's talking about two very different types of people. One is held up as a a, a rich man, a man of faith, a man who started the Jewish nation. He's admired. Not perfect. He lied at times and, and did some different things we can read about, you know. But but um, he comes from this great background. Well, his family was idol worshiper, so that's not quite true. But Rahab, on the other hand, is is this woman that, that's running this inn, and she's a prostitute, and she takes in the, the spies who are checking out the, the promised land, and she hides them, and she lies for them, and says, "I don't know, I don't know who those guys are." You know, the king's asking about them. I don't know who they are. She hides them and sends them out and protects them, and her whole family is saved. They're spared when the walls of Jericho come down. Rahab, two totally different people, different backgrounds, different levels of wealth, different uh, the way we would look at sin, and yet both. Great examples of faith. And I think I say that to encourage you that you don't have to be the great father Abraham. You might be more like Rahab the prostitute and coming out of a really rough background. And you might be an incredible example of faith. I don't know. But I do know this. James does a couple things here. I like how he does it. He says, He quotes that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was still saved before he offered his son Isaac. Right? You know that story? God tells Abraham to offer his one and only son on the altar. And it's like, I remember watching this. I remember watching that Bible series that came out a few years ago. And I was watching the one on Abraham and Isaac. And I I knew that story. I know that story for years. I've preached on that story before. But like watching it on, on TV, you know, and like seeing a father tie up his son and seeing him raise the knife, like I've got tears in my eyes, you know, like it's like you want to say, no, don't do it, even though I know he's not going to do it. It's it just you would actually do that until God intervenes. It's like, Abraham, do you have enough faith and trust in me that you'll give up your own son? And, and when I look at Abraham and Rahab, I see sacrifice. I see risk. I see a faith that says my money is not all my own. My stuff is not all my own. Even my own son is not all my own. I see sacrifice. Is that the kind of faith you have that loves in a sacrificial kind of way? Is that the kind of faith you have? That is a great faith. I want to close with... um, getting back to the Reformers for a minute. The Reformers were asked, they wrote about, what, what is true faith? Like, how do I know my faith is true? And I'm going to need a chair for this. Uh, Dave, could you grab me a chair over there and bring it up to the front? I'd use Doug's, but I'm not sure if I'm pious enough for it. So, there's Doug. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. So, the Reformers... You can set it right there. Thank you. The Reformers talked about what is true faith. Like, how do I know my faith is true? And they said 
there are three elements to true faith. And there were Latin words behind it. I'm going to give you the Latin words, even though probably some of you don't care about that. I'm still going to give it to you. Um, and they said there are three elements to genuine faith. And this is what they are. We'll put them up. There is notitia faith. I'm probably not even saying that right. Someone that knows Latin is going to like correct me. Notitia? That's what I'm saying. Um, and notitia means I know some information about Jesus. I know some stuff. I know that he lived. I know that he, I know that he claimed to live a sinless life, and I know that he was crucified. I know that his followers say that he rose from the dead. I got some facts that I know about Jesus. I know it, but that's not genuine saving faith. You got to add to that something else. Next word, a uh, census. A census kind of it's kind of similar to the word assent, like I'm assenting to something. So there's a similarity there, okay? Um, and that means I believe it's true. I believe that it's true. All the, all the facts that I know, all the stuff that I've read, the stuff that people told me about Jesus, I believe it actually happened that way. I believe it's true. Now, if you stop here, your faith is still not better than demons. Okay, let's be clear about that. Because demons know the facts about God. They could teach a theology class. Of course, they probably lie, so that wouldn't work. But, um, but And they know that it's true. They know that these things about God are true. They know that Jesus rose from the dead. That's not, a, that's not like unclear to demons. But it's the last part of saving faith that brings it all together. Um, fiducia. To entrust yourself completely to Jesus. I'm completely giving myself to Jesus. I love him. I know him and I trust him. Here's where the chair helps. Some of you have heard this before, so, so bear with me. But, but it just illustrates what I've just said. I know that this is a chair. I know that it's made of some fabric. And I know that it's made of metal. I know it. I also believe that those things that I know are true. That it truly is metal, truly is fabric. I, I, I believe that that is true. But until I sit in it, and entrust myself to it to hold me up, it's not genuine saving faith. And I've talked, I've talked to people who are living very um, unbiblical lives, lifestyles, and I don't see fruit. I remember one time I asked that person that I didn't see fruit in, how do you know you're saved? And the answer was, well, I, I prayed the prayer. That's how I know. And I guess what I'm getting at is, but are you sitting in the chair today? Because I know what you did when you were a kid, but are you sitting in the chair today? Because that is genuine faith. Not what you know about Jesus. Not even that you believe it's true but that you've given yourself to Him and you're sitting in the chair and you're trusting in Him alone. Could I ask that you bow your head and close your eyes as the worship team comes up? If this morning you need to take a seat in the chair of faith, our message is that Jesus died for you for your sins. He loves you. 
and that he does ask that you believe that he died for you, you believe he came back from the dead, but more than that, that you give yourself to him, you entrust yourself completely to him, you put your faith in him for your life. Yeah, it's going to be a sacrifice, there's going to be some things that are going to come with that faith, because that faith is not going to be alone. You're going to have to let go of some of those sins that you've loved in the past. You're going to have to do some things that are sacrificial. You're going to have to give some stuff up that you'd rather maybe hold on to. But you're going to be able to do that because the Lord's going to work in you to do that because you have real faith. Your faith won't be alone. And if you would like to respond this morning and sit in that chair of faith, would you pray something like this with me? Lord Jesus, I have known some things about You. Even thought some of them were true. But I know today is what I need to do is trust You completely by faith. I confess my sins and they are many. Let me receive Your forgiveness today based on Your death on the cross. Help me now live a new life by faith that lives for You, that works for You, that reveals my faith day after day after day. Thank You for saving me. In Jesus' name. And with your head down and your eyes closed, if this was your day and you responded and sat in the chair, would you look up at me if this was your day? See that you, you did it? This is you? Let me pray for the rest of us and we will um, we will worship.